We're starting a new series this morning called I Follow Jesus, and we're going to be in this series for about six weeks, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit what, where that series is going and what it means in a moment and uh, where we're going with it. Uh, but let me start with this. How many, uh, how many Christmas people or how many love Christmas? How many people love, we just came off Easter, how many people love Christmas? How, how many people love the day after Christmas? Wow, we got a few. We got a few. I would, maybe after service, love to hear why you love the day after Christmas. Maybe you're British. Do they have Boxing Day? English? I don't know. Someone has Boxing Day. Canada? Canadians? Maybe you're Canadian. I don't even know what it is, really. I thought it was real, like fist boxing, but apparently it's not. It's like boxes boxing. I don't know. Maybe that's why you like the day after Christmas. I hate the day after Christmas because you just had this beautiful like high that I was looking forward to for weeks and for months, right? The music, the decorations, everything. And then it's just ribbons and trash on the floor and everything unwrapped and bills to pay and decorations to take down. And it's just like this downer and you come off this big high and now you're, and now you're like dealing with the mess and the cleanup and what do you do now? What do you look forward to? Uh, what do you, you know, all right, you got New Year's and maybe there's that, but, but then it's like, what do you got? What are you going to look forward to from then on? And uh, so I'm glad if you don't feel that way, but I sometimes feel that way. But it happens to us off other things too, right? Graduation day, you know, everyone's around you. You're the star on the stage. You're taking pictures. You got the robe. Maybe you got the tassel. And, you know, everyone's asking you, what are you going to do now? And you're the star. And then the next day, it's back to your hourly job for minimum wage, you know, whatever you're doing. And it's, it's like, okay, what now, right? Happens on all kinds of occasions. Um, last week, we talked about obviously the highest and holiest days that we celebrate in our Christian calendar uh, with Holy Week, Good Friday through Resurrection Sunday. And those are huge highs, right? So we talked last Sunday, if you were here, we went through the three days. We talked about Friday and the cross and all that was accomplished on that day and the significance of it. And there were trouble and trials on Friday, but God did an amazing work for us. And the cross of Jesus Christ is central to everything we believe. We talked about Saturday, that in-between day that doesn't get talked about a lot, but it's an important day. They were between the cross and the resurrection. They were waiting. Some, you know, they were wondering. There were questions. And a lot of times we feel like we're living on Saturday sometimes in that in-between time. And that was an important day. And then we talked about Sunday. And we talked about, you know, obviously Sunday, the resurrection, Jesus rose from the dead. It's all true. Everything he said, right? And this is the hope of our salvation. This is the pinnacle of our, our faith. This is what, you know, everything in scripture was looking forward to until that moment. And this is what we look back to as the hope that we trust in. It's critical. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I want to start this series. And you could say <clears throat> that we're kind of talking about Monday, we're kind of talking about Monday, because what happens on Monday? Now, I don't mean literally the day after the resurrection, but what happens after all of that? After, yes, the cross, and Jesus is raised from the dead, and I believe it, and I saw him, and I'm in. Now what? I follow Jesus. Now what? What does Monday look like? How does it affect the rest of your life and my life? What does it mean? What difference does it make? And, and I wonder 
if some of his disciples that Jesus lived kind of felt this way too, uh, a little bit. And I, I, think, I think there's a chance they did. If we look at John chapter 21, John chapter 21, uh, John writes this. He said, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. So in that statement, what you see Jesus revealed himself again. This is after the cross, after the resurrection. They've already seen him. He's revealing himself again. They've already seen him resurrected. He's already revealed himself. They already know it. They believe it. He was raised from the dead. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It happened. Awesome. Now what? Because it says Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So the seven of these guys... They've already seen the resurrected Jesus. And now Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now this is an introductory to a series of a very important interaction between Peter and Jesus. But I'm not getting into that. I just want to just look at this, this, this action that they took. Jesus was resurrected and they knew it but they just weren't sure what to do next. You know, so Peter's like, well, I was a fisherman before, I guess I'll go back to fishing. Because they weren't going out like, oh, it's a hey guys, it's a nice day. Let's go throw a couple lines in, you know. Let's go see if we can just, you know, waste away the day, catch them. They're going out at night, which means they're going to work. They're going to work. They're like, look, I used to do this for a living before. This is how I made my money before. I'm going fishing. Let's go make some money. Let's go. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? And so they go fishing. And I think there's a sense that it's kind of like it's Monday. It's after the resurrection. What's life going to look like? You know, and maybe, maybe you sometimes think that too. You know, we had an awesome Sunday last week and we, we got together and we worshiped together and, and we praised the Lord. And then, you know, maybe you got together with some friends and family afterwards. Or, but then it was Monday. You go back to work, or you go back to school, or you go back to whatever you were doing before, and what, what difference does it make? You know, what difference does the fact that the resurrection, what, what, is, what does it mean for your life now? There's another instance in the book of Acts, uh, right before Jesus ascends into heaven. Uh, he's been with his disciples for 40 days, and he's been in and out of their presence and showing himself to many people. And then in Acts chapter 1, it says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you for, into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And I just bring that scripture up for this reason, because think about the scene. Jesus is resurrected. He was talking with them. And then he went up into heaven, and they're just kind of sitting there standing, staring. Like, what do we do now? Here he goes. He's gone. And then they, it like took two angels to come to them and be like, why are you sitting there staring? Like, yeah, but it was like, what do we do now? What do we do now? Jesus actually spoke 
to uh, this situation uh, before he had left, the disciples might be asking, why did Jesus have to leave? Right? They might be asking that. I follow Jesus, but why did he have to leave? And Jesus actually spoke to this question, and he said he left for our good, believe it or not. He actually left for our good. And he spoke to that on that Thursday evening before the cross when he was talking to his disciples. His words are recorded in John chapter 16. And in verse 4, he says this, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Because he said he's leaving. Sorrow has filled their hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. And the disciples, of course, would be thinking, there's no way this could be to our advantage. There's no way this could be a good thing. But Jesus isn't blowing smoke. He isn't, he isn't spinning the situation. He isn't like, it's not like Jesus is, you know, this is a bad breakup and he's trying to put a nice spin on it. Like, oh, you'll be better without me. That's not what's going on here. Like he literally believes, no, this is going to be better for you if I leave. And why? Because he says, if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to go to God the Father. So if you're new to Christianity, we believe God has revealed himself as the Trinity, a triune God. One God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and so Jesus, God the Son, says, I'm going back to God the Father. I'm going to be in his presence. I'm going to be praying for you. It says in the word that Jesus is interceding for us. I'm going to be preparing a place for you. But I'm also, in the meantime, I'm going to send God the Holy Spirit is going to come to you and help you live this life that I've called you to live. And actually, this series, I Follow Jesus, is actually going to be about six weeks about the Holy Spirit. Because after you decide to follow Jesus, what you need to understand is how to walk with the Spirit and how to walk with this Spirit that God has given you. And so we're going to talk for several weeks about God the Holy Spirit. And I, I think the Spirit is sometimes a mystery to us. Because we can understand, all right, God the Father, I mean, we don't understand it all, but we get it, right? God the Father, creator, powerful, like we get that. God the Son, he was born in a manger, walked on the earth, we get this picture, we, we can see that. God the Holy Spirit, we're like, hmm, what do we think about all of that? We want to talk about that. I want to talk six weeks between now and what's called Pentecost Sunday. We'll talk about God the Holy Spirit. Because there's something significant that happened. Jesus isn't just putting a spin on things. It's really better that he left, and here's why. Let's just step back for a minute, and let's take a big picture of the presence of God throughout history. Let me just walk you through it real quick. If you think about what Scripture reveals about the presence of God, you start with Adam and Eve in the garden. These first two people that God created and breathed life into, and you start with Adam and Eve in the garden. And it says God's presence is there with them. They're walking with them. 
There's, there's no barrier between them and God. There seems to be this intimacy and this relationship that it's God, it's them, they're there. Like there's nothing between them. And then Adam and Eve choose to disobey God. They want to go their own way. They said, you know, we'd like to be like God. We want to make our decisions. God gave them that freedom because that's the only way that real love could be if they had the freedom to choose not to love. And they chose not to. They chose to disobey. And then we're told this created a barrier between them and the presence of God, between humanity and God's presence. So they're out of the garden. No more walks in the cool of the day, whatever that looked like. It must have been really cool. But I, I, that was a point on where I didn't mean really cool, but awesome, right? It must have been really awesome to walk in the cool of the day with God. Um, but that's not there. There's this barrier now between God, our creator, and humanity. And then we see God start to reveal himself and start to talk to people. He talks to Noah. He gives some messages. He talks, he talks to Abraham. In our last series, we saw God speak to Abraham and he revealed a plan and he revealed his promises and he revealed a covenant and his presence is somehow there with this man, Abraham. And then if you go a little later in, in salvation history, a little few hundred years down the road, there's a man called Moses and God talks to Moses. He's not the only people God talks to in scripture, but, but God talks to Moses and he reveals himself to him. And he actually tells Moses to build uh, him a tabernacle. What's called a tabernacle. It would be a, a giant tent-like movable structure. And he says here, so it's, it's, it's a place of worship. And he says, Moses, I want you to build this. And the reason I want you to build it is because when you do, I'm going to put my presence in there. Whatever that means for God. He's going to like put a part. He's going to manifest himself. He's going to have a part there that's going to be his presence. So Moses builds this tabernacle exactly how he said, to the exact specifications. And then there's this room in the tabernacle that's in the back that's called the Holy of Holies, the holiest place. And in that place, behind this curtain that's as thick as a person's hand and about 40 feet high. Behind that curtain is, a, is, an, is the Ark of the Covenant. And, and when it's finished, what we have in Scripture is it says God's presence visibly and very clearly came and dwelt in that place. God inhabited it. Part of God just kind of dwelled in there. And when they would travel, the Israelites, through the desert, they would set up camp and they put the tabernacle in the middle. And all the tribes would camp around the tabernacle and it would symbolically say that the presence of God is the center of your life. That everything around your life is oriented to the presence of God. There were certain other things that communicated that. The, the candles that were in the tabernacle had to burn constantly, 24-7, 365. The oil couldn't run out. And the reason was because it was symbolic that that light, that presence, everyone, didn't matter what time of night you woke up, if you looked at the tabernacle, you could see God's awake. God's presence is there. The candles are burning. God's there. They had loaves of bread that always had to be in there fresh. God's providing. He's your provider. And so the tabernacle was the presence of God, and it was there right in the midst of the people. But really, that holy of holies, you couldn't just walk into it, you and I. One person once a year, the high priest, gets to walk into the holy of holies, confess the sins, and be in the presence of God. No one else. 
And if he walked in the wrong way, he would drop dead in an instant. That was God's presence. A little bit later, after the tabernacle wandering through the desert, they come to finally a a city that they call home, Jerusalem. And the Israelites uh, live in Jerusalem. And in that place, there's a king there named David. And David says, you know what? I live in a really nice house. God shouldn't be living in a tent. So I'm going to build him a temple. And God says, no, you're not. I don't want you to build me a temple. You can't build me a temple, but your son will build me a temple. And so his son's name's Solomon. And so Solomon actually does build this beautiful temple for God. And then once again, the scriptures say, once it's built, once it's finished, God's presence comes, inhabits the Holy of Holies. Very visibly, very clearly, God comes and lives in that place. And once again, the Israelites are reminded, God's presence is with them. Your life is to be oriented around the temple. Your life is to be oriented around God's presence. They disobey. They kind of go their own way. God disciplines them. And... A nation comes in, Babylon, they go into, the people of Israel go into exile, and the Babylonians destroy the temple. Destroy it. Steal all the artifacts, it's gone. It's leveled. Several decades later, some people are allowed to come back. Ezra, a man named Zerubbabel, comes back, and they want to rebuild the temple, and they start to rebuild the temple. They don't do a very good job. They, they don't have the materials. They don't have the resources. But they, they start to rebuild something. It's there for a while. It's, it's kind of shoddy, but, you know, they have something. Eventually, later, a man named King Herod comes along. And he wants to be a friend of the Jews. He's actually half Jewish. And he wants to be a friend of the Jewish people. And he wants to show that he is a friend of the Jews because he's king. And he wants to really show them some, some goodwill. So he sets out to really rebuild the temple the way it should be. And he puts all the resources into it. And it becomes this beautiful, gold-coated, gorgeous temple that's as much... Uh, uh, you know, a testimony to Herod as it is to God. But, but here's what doesn't happen. We never read about God's presence coming and dwelling and inhabiting that temple. You never hear about God's presence visibly and clearly coming into the Holy of Holies and making its home in that temple. God never, God's presence never comes to that place. That is until about 4 BC when a young teenage girl and her husband, Mary and Joseph, come with their recently born baby at eight days old and the presence of God comes into the temple because God the Son, born as a baby to a virgin, is brought into the temple. And throughout the life of Jesus, the presence of God will walk in and out of the temple and people don't even know it and don't even realize it. And then Jesus says, after the cross and after the resurrection, it's better that I go away. And here's why. Because I'll send God the Holy Spirit to you. And what he's really saying is because the presence of God now is not going to be contained to a place. 
And there was a real clear uh, indication of this on Good Friday. We didn't really talk about it this year. We have in past years all the different things in scriptures that are recorded that happened on Good Friday, earthquakes and the sun going dark. But one of them, really significant, is that veil, that cloth, that curtain, as thick as a person's hand, about 40 feet high, was torn when Jesus was crucified from top to bottom. I mean, you can imagine, you couldn't tear it from bottom to top, but imagine it being torn from top to bottom. God in his providence saying no more. No more is the presence of God confined to a space. No more do you have to think you have to come to a temple to come to the presence of God. No more because my son has been crucified and we are getting back to where it started, where the presence of God will be with men. And so the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, do you not know that you are God's temple, church? Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Imagine after everything I just kind of laid out, imagine what that word meant to them. We are the temple. We are the holy of holies. We are the place where God's presence dwells. And God's presence lives in you. And so he wasn't just blowing smoke. He was serious. It's better for you that I will go away. Because I'm right here. I'm with a few guys. But God's holy. God, the Holy Spirit will be with the church everywhere. The church, the presence of God dispersed throughout the world and throughout the earth with you. So why did Jesus have to leave? So that the Holy Spirit could come and be with us. We're not back to there. We're not back to Adam and Eve. We've, one day we will be fully in the presence of God and we'll see face to face and we will with unveiled faces see God fully and we will embrace his presence. But right now in this world, God is with us and he's with you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, his spirit is dwelling in you. Jesus left for our good. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was given by him and the Holy Spirit is the fuel for the Christian life. The Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, God gives you the power to live the life that he has called you to live. But I want to just park here for just a minute because I think even though God has given it to us, I think some of us just neglect the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the fuel for our lives. Some of you, let me, let me put it this way. Some of you are like me around this time of year. You're probably going out to the shed or you're going to the garage and you are going to wheel this thing out and you are going to start pulling on a cord and hoping that thing starts because your grass is getting long and your neighbors are starting to look at you and you got to get your grass cut and you're hoping that thing starts. Now, if you didn't put fuel in the lawnmower, you can pull all you want. It's not turning over. You can have a beautiful new lawn tractor that you just bought, and you got no fuel in it, so you just end up pushing it around your yard. Or maybe, let me just look at it this way, your car, you may have drove here this morning, and imagine it had no gas in it, and your family just get out and just pushed it to church. I mean, how foolish, how, how, how laughable is that? But that's kind of like what living the Christian life apart from recognizing the Holy Spirit is like. You're just trying to do it in your own strength. 
You're just trying to do it in your own ability apart from God's Holy Spirit that he has given to you to live this life. And I'm afraid that too many of us are, try, are living in that place where we are trying to do in our own strength what God has given us the power of his spirit to do. And I wonder, I was thinking about this this week, because I know this is true. Why do we do this? I mean, it's not new to us. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3 back in the first century. He said to the church at Galatia, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Like, it's not new to us. Paul's like, this is what you're doing. You know that God started it by his grace. You know that he started it by his spirit. Now you think you're going to finish it in your own strength? Now you think it's all up to you? But we do. I know I do. I know you do sometimes. We just think, and I wonder, why do we do that? Why do we think I got to do it all on my own instead of tapping into and being in step with God and his spirit? I wonder if one of the reasons is because of this analogy we often use, and the Bible gives us between God being our father, this parental relationship. You know, every analogy breaks down at some point, right? And so scripture does use the parent-child, like the father relationship. It uses father language, uses parent language. God, we pray the Lord's Prayer, our father. And so that can be helpful at times. But every analogy breaks down at some point. Because I wonder if sometimes we don't picture God up there like a parent. You know the parent that's like, okay, I'll help you this time, but next time you got to do it on your own. You know, oh gosh, you need help again? Come on, we've gone over this. You got to get it. I'm not helping you next time. I wonder if we think God's like that. Because that's where the analogy breaks down because nothing in Scripture puts God in that kind of perspective. In fact, the exact opposite. Time and time again, we are told that God is with us. You know, Emmanuel, one of the names of Jesus means God is with us. God wants to do life with us. God doesn't want to leave us on our own. It's not about us pleasing God by making him proud. Look, I did it on my own without your help. Oh, well, then you did it wrong then you did it wrong because I want to do it with you. I want you to learn to do life with me. I want you to learn to rely on my presence and my spirit to walk in the spirit. I mean, this isn't new to us. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher in the 19th century in the 1800s, pastored Metropolitan Tabernacle, one of the largest churches in Europe. It was in London at the time. And Spurgeon on this verse, Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, preaching on this verse, he says, I say we are sound enough on that point as a matter of theory, but we are all of us very heretical and unsound as a matter of practice. We as Christians all say, oh, yeah, 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 it's God's spirit, but we all act like it's us. He says, you will not find a Christian who does not have to mourn over his self-righteous tendencies. You will not discover a believer who has not at a certain period in his life to groan because of the spirit of self-confidence that's risen in his heart and prevented him from feeling the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit has led him to put his confidence in the mere strength of nature, strength of good intentions, strength of strong resolutions, instead of relying upon the might of God and the Holy Spirit alone. 
Here's a truth that I don't think we realize in the United States of America in a very um, blessed, in a very wealthy, in a very, in some ways, easy. I know everyone's life's not easy, but compared to much of the world, there's a lot of ease in the place where we live. You've got discretionary time. You've probably got discretionary money. You can make choices. Here's what we don't realize. When we live in a life like that, we often don't have to rely on God or don't think we do. And so we have lost an advantage of having to recognize how, much, how dependent we actually are on God. And so we try and live our lives in our own strength, and we think we have, and we think it's about us. And so we think we can do it all without God. And God wants us to do life with him. And you're trying to overcome sin in your life, in your own strength, and you're wondering why it's not changing, because you were never intended to overcome sin in your own strength. It's God's strength with you. You were never, God never expected that you in your own ability and in your own human strength would be able to fight the enemy in the spiritual battles that you face. You weren't built that way. It's God's spirit within you. But followers of Jesus rely on the Holy Spirit by staying close to him. You have to, you have the Holy Spirit within you if you've come to follow Christ, but you can put him up on the shelf and not pay attention, not listen, not press in. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 says this. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but, listen to this, be filled with the Spirit. That be filled is an imperative, it's a command, but it's also in the present tense in Greek, which denotes a continuous action. It's not a one time. It's a constantly, I need to be filled with your spirit today, Lord. Be filled with that spirit on a regular basis. Because you don't have the strength to live the life God's called you to in your own strength. Dallas Willard says that we are called to live lives that the way that Jesus would live them if he were living your life. I don't have that strength to live my life the way Jesus would live it if he were living my life. But God gives his spirit. D.L. Moody was a pastor in um, the 1800s, 19th century. He was very well known in the United States. He traveled throughout, had a huge ministry in Chicago at Stone Church. He was probably most known for, there's a university out in Chicago, Moody uh, Bible Institute, and um, that's named after him, and there's ministries around the world that still go on because of D.L. Moody's ministry. What you may not know, you may have heard the name D.L. Moody, you may not know he actually came to faith in Boston. He was born in Massachusetts, um, and he had an influential ministry out here, and you may have walked by it several times, but in the city of Boston, there's a plaque uh, that says this is the spot where D.L. Moody converted to the faith. And uh, it's right in downtown Boston. There's a plaque there, and you can read it. And he was extremely um, influential in preaching the word of God. But on this topic particularly, he used an illustration that I think is helpful. 
He took a glass one uh, time while he was preaching, and he said, how can I get all the air out of this glass? And now you might be, there's some smart people in this room, and you can probably figure out how to do that. I mean, one person in the audience that night with D.L. Moody preaching said, you know, you can, you know, set up a seal on it and then suck all the air out. And then Moody said, well, at that point, you're going to create a vacuum and the pressure on the outside, the glass is going to collapse on itself and break. But, you know, there's some smart people in this room. You can probably figure out how to, I don't know, actuate the air outside and inside the glass and somehow seal it and then suck the air out and you can get the air out of the glass that way. But Moody had a much easier way to do it. He said, well, what if instead of doing all that and trying to figure that out in your own knowledge and your own, what if we just filled the glass with water and we got all the air out of the glass that way? And of course, you get his point. You're trying in your own strength and in your own knowledge to get the air of sin out of your life. When what God really wants to do is fill you with his spirit, fill you with his presence, fill you with his power to overcome that sin in your life. And that's the life that God has called us to live, but we cannot do it in our own strength. The truth is Jesus went to be with the Father and sent the Holy Spirit to be with us until we are fully with God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is the with God life. It's always been about getting back to being in the presence of God fully. That's what all these things have been about. It's all been about God wanting to be with us. And I don't get why the God and the creator of the universe and God of all of it really cares that much about us. But everything I see in scripture and history says he does. And all of this has been to be with God. And while we are here, God has not left us alone. He has left us his Holy Spirit to help us live this life the way he's called us to. So as the worship team comes back, I just want to close out our time at the end of this service, but really at the beginning of this series by just giving you an opportunity to say to God, God, I just want more of your spirit in my life. I want to be more attentive to your spirit in my life. Now, I think there's two things. There's there's maybe a couple different situations in here. Maybe you're in here and you're saying, you know what? I've been wrestling and trying to overcome something in my life with my own strength and it's not working and God is speaking to you today and God is letting you know, I never intended you to do it in your own strength. Let me help. Let my spirit, just be filled with my spirit to strengthen you. Would you give that over to me in prayer? Would you keep bringing that to me? Would you look to me for the solution, for the answer, for the help with that? And maybe you're here today, and that's the situation you're in. And you need to just say to God, God, I've given it over to you maybe once before. I need to give it to you daily. I need to constantly give this over to you. I need you. 
Maybe you're just, you feel like every time you're pulling on that cord, trying to start that engine, but you've never allowed the Holy Spirit's presence to really fill your life. Would you take that fuel cap off and allow the Holy Spirit to be poured in and say, and just say, God, fill me today. God, I need to be filled with your spirit. God, help me to live this with God life. But maybe it's not about a sin or a thing you're struggling against. Maybe it's just your life is boring. It's just Monday. And you're like, oh, I gotta go back to work tomorrow. I gotta go back to school tomorrow. I gotta, like, you, like Sunday nights are the worst because you just know that you're just going back to whatever Monday is. If that's the case for you, I just wonder how attentive you are and how attentive I am to God's spirit in my life and the adventure that he wants to take you on. Because I think um, God wants to lead you in an adventurous walk with him, a walk of faith, a walk that challenges you to go places and do things and talk to people and give away things and enter into situations that you never would without him a walk that's constantly attentive to the voice of God. What's that look like? Sure, in the morning, get up, spend time in the Bible, spend time in prayer, and make sure you say, Lord, would your spirit lead me as I read and as I pray? Would you say, sure, absolutely. But here's my challenge to you. Don't leave it there. As you walk throughout your day, find ways to remind yourself that God is with you. Whatever that job is, whatever that class is, whatever that place is, find ways. Maybe it's little alarms you set on your phone to take a moment to prayer. Maybe it's, I don't know, something you tie around your finger or something to remind yourself God is with you. That you don't have to have all the answers. Let me tell you, you don't have all the answers. That may be news to some of you. You don't. But just as much news to some of you might be that God is with you. And he wants to be with you, not just in your theology of salvation on Sunday, but in your office on Monday, in your lab, in your classroom, on the sales floor. I don't know where you find yourself, in the hospital room. And you're going, I can't figure this out. I don't know what's going on with this person. I don't know how to handle this problem. And you in your own strength are trying to figure it out. And would you stop? Would you be able to stop for a moment and say, God, you are with me. You are with me. Lord, you know all things. You created this earth. You created, uh, you created science and health and you created business and you, crea- you created all things. You understand conflict. You understand people relationships. You understand human. Lord, would you give me what I need in this situation? Would you show me? Lord, you're with me. Would you live your life with him? We'll be talking more about that over the next six weeks, what God, what it means to walk and follow God, the Holy Spirit. But as we close out the service today and as we begin this series, would you stand? I'm just gonna pray. The team's going to sing. I'm going to leave some time. We've got five few minutes here. 
just going to leave these altars. If you want to come up and pray and just ask God, would you just help me to be more attentive to your spirit? Would you help me to walk closer to you and listen to you? If you're here, I'll pray for you. Some of our elders are here. They'll pray with you. Just lay a hand on your shoulder and ask God to do what you are asking him to do and agree with you in prayer as we do that. Father, Lord, we love you. I thank you that even though, uh, Lord, we so often walk away and we so often want to do things in our own strength, Lord, that you are with us and that you have done everything you can just to get back to us and to bridge the gap that we created with you. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us today. Help us to understand this with God life, the power that you've given us to live the life you've called us to live, the adventure that you've called us to. I pray for those that are here this morning that are just discouraged by a constant and besetting sin that's been in their life that they've been trying everything they know how to get rid of. Lord, I ask that by your Holy Spirit and your strength this morning that you would bring healing and freedom in that life and in that situation. Not because of who we are or what we can do, but Lord, all because of who you are and what you've done. And we ask it in Jesus' name.